Hello and welcome to another episode of the Make It Work podcast. My guest today, Finn Thormeyer, is the founder of Project 33. In his own words, he has been a 25-year-old with not much of a clue about life, um, figuring things out. Finn, I'll let you do the rest of the intro. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, intro, let's see. So uh, Project 33, I guess, that's the main thing. Uh, we are a content marketing agency. Um, with a kind of narrow focus, I guess we, we work with B2B companies and we help the founders of those B2B companies to produce eight videos a month, um, where in which they share their knowledge and their expertise to position them as subject matter experts. Um, and then we, you know, we do the whole thing of coming up with topics for the videos, recording together with the founders, remotely editing the videos creating the thumbnails, creating the caption files, writing the copy for each video, you know, all that stuff. And then also distributing and posting those videos um, for them and, and in those different platforms that make sense for a B2B company. So LinkedIn, YouTube, we create an email newsletter based on that. Um, we, we show them how to add the videos to their website to build SEO. So all kinds of different things we do with those videos. Um, yeah, this started like, I think in 2018 is when I first started this. It, it was really just like LinkedIn content in the beginning. I had a co-founder back then, um, which didn't work out. We broke up six months later and uh, I had to start from scratch. And it was just kind of like a, like most content agencies, we just did anything for everyone. You know, whatever someone wanted regarding content we did, whether it was like, some Instagram content or some LinkedIn content or some YouTube videos or once, you know, one piece of content a month or five a week or, you know, some graphics that they wanted or some text posts or image posts or video posts, whatever it was, we, we would do it. Um, and for me, we're now eight people. For me, the big change was kind of when we decided to focus on one very specific thing, make it one offer, basically become a product agency that doesn't do projects that, that are all different, but we just do one thing. We produce eight videos for B2B founders per month and we make it very easy for them um, to do this. And uh, yeah, that's where we are today. Sweet. Let's jump to the beginning of this journey. So in 2018, how old were you? Uh, so that was for you 21, I guess. Yeah. Oh, wow. So this was already you looking forward to becoming 25. Um, and how does 25 relate to 33? Is this sort of a timeline of your life that you're looking oh, forward yeah. into? But you, you mean how the num how the, the name came about the 33? Mm -hmm. uh, no, it was just a random number. I think it was I think it was in January 2019. Because my friend and I my co founder back then we started this like August 2018. And we had, you know, a couple of clients that just came through our network. So we didn't have a name. It was just Finn and you know, this other person. Um, and so then I wanted to create a website. And I realized if I want to create a website, I need to decide on a domain. And if I want to decide on a domain, we need a name unless we just want to have our last names as the domain name or something. So I had to come up with something pretty quickly. And I just couldn't think of anything. And then I decided on project 33 because it just sounded humble. It just sounded like 
33, like some random kind of, it's not Project 1 or Project 100 or, you know, some like grandiose name. It was just like Project 33, something in between. You know, it's it's like something we do. And yeah, and I like the, the number 33. It looked nice and it sounded nice, but there was no real uh, real reason behind it. Later, obviously, you can always backfit things. I realized that I think Jesus was supposed to be 33 when he was when he died on the cross. My wife was 33 when I met her. You know, like there are these things that later you can be like, oh yeah, 33 makes sense, but it was just a random number. So the universe just brought you the number. Yeah. Amazing. Now, one question I always wonder about is why do people start something specific? You mm. could be doing anything. So back in 2018 or whenever this, this idea started for you, what was it that brought you to, to marketing in the first place? Yeah. Um, it was circumstance. It was luck. Um, so I dropped out of college in 2017 just because I realized I was, was doing it for other people. Um, I wasn't doing it because I was excited about the thing that I was studying. I was just doing it because that's what you do when you finish high school. Um, and I wanted to, I didn't have any other idea. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to start a business or do this. I, I was just like, this is not it. So let me just try and figure out what it might be. And I was pretty open to whatever it might be. Um, and given that I didn't know what it would end up being that I wanted to do with my life, quote unquote, um, I realized that the one thing that I could start right away was document the journey. Um, because I could use that no matter where I end up. And so that's when I created uh, like a Twitter account and a Snapchat account and a LinkedIn account and a YouTube channel and a Facebook account and Instagram. And I was really not like a social media person back then. Um, like I didn't actually have any of these accounts. Um, and I just started documenting just like random videos of me, whatever I was thinking about, whatever ideas I had, whoever I was meeting, whatever I was trying out, I was just making content and videos about it. Um, not really in a professional way, just like me, this like amateur trying to figure something out. Um, that was in Germany. Um, and then beginning of 2018, I went to New York and I lived in New York for six months, basically because I realized I needed to get out of my safe, comfortable bubble in Germany, um, and, you know, get out into the world and do something uncomfortable. So I was in New York and still didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I was just still posting on YouTube and Instagram and LinkedIn. And I was going to lots of networking events because I realized I needed to meet people and get to know people and make friends. And yeah, eventually, like just through tinkering, I was getting some results from the content, basically just building a little bit of a following. I think I had like 3000 followers on Instagram and like probably the roughly the same amount on like LinkedIn. And, and I started relatively early on LinkedIn when they had just been acquired by Microsoft and introduced LinkedIn video. So before that, you couldn't actually post video files onto LinkedIn. So it was pretty early with that. And I just benefited from being early. Like if you look at my videos, it's like, it's so random, but, um, 
And then just at those networking events, two people randomly started approaching me and they're like, this is really cool what you're doing on LinkedIn with these videos. Could you do that for me and I'll pay you money for it? And those were business owners. And it just completely blew my mind that these people who were like legit people, like in their 30s or 40s, running an actual business with employees, wanted to pay me, the you know 21-year-old college dropout who was posting random videos on LinkedIn for fun as a hobby. Like I didn't have this thought back then that, oh, this is going to be my launch pad and I'm going to, you know, I was just literally doing it to document. Um, and it blew my mind. And so luckily I had this, this friend back then who was a freelance ghostwriter at the time. So he was already working with people. So he understood, you know, like invoices and proposals and like some of these mechanics that I had absolutely no clue about. And so we teamed up, we, we took those two people and those were our first two clients and, uh, we, uh, fucked up, you know, we had no clue what we were doing. Um, I realized that it's a very different thing to create content for yourself when you're 21 years old and create content for a 40 year old business owners who's trying to establish business relationships with heads of sales or whatever at software companies. And I had no clue about any of those things. So it was quite random. We didn't have a process. It was all over the place. So. But it was a learning process, you know, we learned from that, but that's how it all started just organically. Like I was doing my thing and then someone noticed it and said, I was, I'm willing to pay money for this thing. So that's how it started. Incredible story. Now, if I look at your story in retrospective, I might have assumed that you're somebody who had it figured out since the beginning, right? You, you went like, I'm going to build up a following. I'm going to be already mm -hmm. on these platforms. And eventually we're going to start converting and monetizing. And you could literally build a pitch deck, like the million yeah. pitch decks out there based on this story. But it is a story of organic growth. Where did the idea of documenting your life come from? Actually, it was before Gary V, because obviously Gary V talks about it all the time. I don't remember it. I, I know that I found Gary V kind of like three months after I started that journey. And I was like, oh, he's exactly talking about this thing that I'm trying to do. Um, I was actually, that's how much I was like not in the loop with this like whole social media thing. One, I didn't actually have an Instagram account back then. Like it actually didn't have one. Um, and I thought... I should start a blog because that's what I was like reading. Like there was like, uh, what's his name? I forgot his name, like passive income, something there was this blog and there's like Ramit Sethi, um, these like bloggers. And like, I thought I'm going to start a blog. And then it took me a little bit of tinkering to realize that maybe not the best thing to like try to grow organically. Uh, so like, that's when I, build the Instagram account, but I don't know where the idea of documenting came from. So you were kind of interested in these kind of things while you didn't really have a clue on what you wanted to do in your life. Like there was something about, could it be business? Could it be passive income? Could it be writing? Yeah. Um, did you have any entrepreneurial people in your family or any other influences that got you to that point? No, not in my family. I mean, I think one of the there is a podcast called making sense 
it's very obscure by this guy called Athene. Um, I think he went a little crazy. I'm not, uh, I'm not advocating for his uh, content, but he was a Twitch streamer. So he was a gamer. And that was the platform that I was hanging out back then. I was just in college playing video games, watching Twitch live streams, watching anime, just, you know, the classic, not doing much with my life. And he had this podcast and we talked about, I think for the first time, kind of entrepreneurship and having an impact. And he also talked a little bit about college and whether it makes sense or not. And I think that for the first time, just even exposed me to that mindset for the first time, because yeah, I didn't have anyone in my family who, who had their own business, ran their own business, anything entrepreneurial. So that mindset was not really something that were, that I was exposed to at home or in my friends group. Um, and so I think it was just convenient again, lucky that he was a Twitch streamer because otherwise I might've not found him because that's what I was into at the time, just watching video games. Um, if he would have been like, just like a business podcast, I might've never gone there because it was just not something that I was actively looking to get into, you know? Right. So your life before starting this whole journey seems very chilled, relaxed gaming mm -hmm. Twitch, and then you start creating content, uh, even if it is play at first, um, when did you notice that this was a different life now? Once you had all these accounts that you didn't even have before, um, was there a point where you said, oh, I got to take this a bit more seriously than, you know, when I first started? Mm. I think I try to not take it too seriously still. I think that's the most important thing actually to try actively to not take it too seriously. Cause I think the default is to tr to take it seriously. Um, I think the, the, the first real aha moment. It was kind of uh, a special moment. Um, I was in New York. And again, I was just like posting random things. Um, and I didn't know anyone in New York, like I went there without a plan without knowing anyone without, you know, ideas of what I should do there. And so I went to uh, one to three meetups every single day meetups.com, Facebook groups. I just found anything that people went to anything, photographer, meetup, yoga in the park, crypto meetup, professional business networking. I don't, I didn't care what it was, uh, ideally free food because then I could also live a little bit more cheaply because I was running through savings in New York quickly. Um, and so I went to this event that was an Instagram growth hacker meetup. And I didn't know what Instagram growth hackers were, but it was an event that there were people. So I went there and it was organized by this guy called Eduardo, uh, Eduardo Morales. I still remember him. He's amazing. Um, and they did this thing where, um, people could go up in front of the group. There were like 30 people. Maybe you could go up in front of the group and present your Instagram account. So they would beam your Instagram account onto the wall and then the whole group can look at it. And then you can discuss, you know, your strategy and your thought process and why you use this hashtag and what you've tried to grow your Instagram. And these were all like quote unquote professional Instagrammers. Like these were people with hundreds, hundreds of 
thousands of followers, like people who were making a living from Instagram. That was their business. Um, and I was just this random kid with like 3000 followers and had this rule back then, uh, do the uncomfortable. So whenever I felt uncomfortable doing something, I had to do it. And so when they said like, anyone can go up and present their thing, there were already people registered who said before that they want to do it. But they said they all, you can also spontaneously come up. And I was like, that would be really uncomfortable to do. So I was like, shit, now I got to do it. So I went up, I put my Instagram account there and I just talked about like random things. And this one thing that I just started doing back then was run Instagram story ads because organic growth was already kind of slowing down. And I was realizing that even though I didn't have anything to sell, I wanted people to see my story my drop out of college and figuring life out story. And so I, tr I played around with Instagram story ads where would put this like super random video of me talking to the camera saying, Hey, I'm not selling you anything. I'm just this random kid in New York, uh, into Instagram story ads and I didn't have any money. So I just put like one euro a day budget. So I was spending 30 euros a month on that campaign. And I had just set that up a couple of weeks before, and I was getting real followers through that, like real people, not like some fake bot followers, but real people who saw the ad and were interested not enough in my story and my journey to follow me. And I shared that. And afterwards, Eduardo, the organizer came up to me and he said, this thing with the Instagram story ads, that's really cool. Could you show me how you do that? So I can, I can set that up for my account. And he had like a, I think he had like 150,000 followers back then. This Instagram called called Pin Lord, selling enamel pins and all that. And so I said sure. And so we met up the next day in a coffee shop in New York. And I, 30 minutes, set this up. Just showed him here you do that and you do that. And here's the ad I use and blah 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 blah. And when we were done, he was like, "What's your PayPal? I would like to send you a hundred dollars." And I was like, "What?" like what for it was like 30 minutes and this is like no like this no special knowledge like i just found this through like random playing around with this you know it took me 30 minutes and i'm doing this for fun like you bought me the coffee here you know like this is good enough and he was like no like i would probably make a lot more than a hundred dollars through these ads now and i would like to pay you for this knowledge And that was the first hundred dollars I ever made on my own, you know, like not without an employer and like a job and this kind of thing, but just like that type of myself, you know, and that I think was the first aha moment where I was like, wait a second, people are willing to pay actual dollars for knowledge and especially knowledge that I a 21-year-old or 20, maybe at that point, 20-year-old college dropout have, you know, people who are clearly much further, much further ahead than me. You know, he was in his 30s. He had 150,000 followers. He was making real money through Instagram. Like, and yet here I was able to teach him something that he was on his own, like I didn't ask for it, on his own willing to pay me money for. And I think that was a big aha moment. Wow. 
very useful as well for a kid in New York running out of savings. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So speaking of being paid for your knowledge, um, when you talk about founder branding and establishing people as thought leaders, um, can you speak a bit more about it? And is that kind of the, the principle or the insight behind it of it's not necessarily that you get paid for the piece of software, it is perhaps the relationship or the trust people put in you as a founder or as a founding team um, sure. and anything else that goes into, into that in your process? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I only know selling things or making money through my quote unquote personal brand. I didn't call it that back then. I still try to not call it that, but it's just my following, my audience that know me through LinkedIn or Instagram. And that's how I created business opportunities, right? And so in B2B, especially, I mean, you need to build trust with people before they're willing to spend money with you, right? Because like, especially in B2B, where you have like high ticket solutions that you sell, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, $150,000 that a prospect needs to spend with you. And so no one's going to hand over $150,000 to you or your company unless they have a lot of trust in you. Trust that you know what you're doing, that you know what you're talking about, that you can deliver on the results that you're promising them, that you're a good person with integrity who's going to do what they said they will do, all of these things, right? And so one way to build trust is, I mean, you talk with people, right? And, and, and that's how they evaluate whether you are trustworthy. So you have a sales call with them or whatever, and they ask you questions, critical questions, and you have to answer them, right? How do you deal with this? What do you say with that? Who are your customers? You know, what, if, what happens in this case? You know, why is your price this way? How does your solution work? Like all of these things. And one conversation is usually not enough depending on, on how, how expensive your solution is that you're selling, you might have, need to have one, two, three, four, five of these conversations with different people, with multiple people before then that other company says, okay, sure, let's go ahead and spend $150,000 with this company. And so one way to front load that trust is through content, right? Because what you're doing in a sales call, is you're sharing your knowledge, you're sharing your expertise, you show that you know what you're talking about, you share your solution and the features, you share case studies and testimonials, and all of these things you can put into content and publish them in places where your prospects can see them on your website and your LinkedIn and a YouTube channel so that they can validate you and your solution and whether you're trustworthy before they have to decide whether they book the first call with you. Which means that one, you're going to have more calls because some people are not booking a call with you because they, there's already so much, so many suspicions and limiting beliefs that they're just not going to book a call with you. So if you front load it, it increases the chance that they're going to actually book the call with you. And then you have to have fewer calls or shorter calls because a lot of the questions and doubts that they might have and bring to the sales calls are already answered. And so we do this you can do this through all kinds of things you can do this through videos on linkedin you can do this through blog posts on your website you can do this through webinars that you host on a partner's network 
you know, it, there's all kinds of different, you can have an email newsletter, all these things. For us, what we decided to, to do through the founder is because we found that this content, it's not enough to just be content. It's not enough for a company to put out a three minute video or a five minute video. What matters is what, what you say in that three to five minute video. Like what's the meat in it? Do you deliver an actual insight? Do you deliver expertise that helps your prospects do their job better? Are you able to explain your technical solution in a way that technical people resonate with that and see you as one of their peers, right? All of these things. And generally that level of expertise you can find in the founder because that founder They've been in the business for a couple of years. They've had many conversations with customers and prospective customers. So they really understand what these people care about and how they tick. They know their solution inside and out. They know their market inside and out. They know the problems uh, within their industry inside and out. And they can speak from a point of authority. A content manager that you just hired cannot do that. Right. They might know, you know, what SEO settings you need to activate on your website or whatever to 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 for your blog post to start ranking. But they don't have the knowledge and expertise to write an authoritative blog post. And that's what a lot of B2B companies do. They hire a marketing hire some content writer or SEO manager or blog writer or content creator and they expect them to create the content for them and so they do and what happens is you get very generic shallow surface level content because that's the only thing that they can do right because they haven't been in the industry for five years they haven't you know talked to hundreds of customers and prospects they 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 haven't you know built the product themselves so they can google around a little bit and that's what you're going to get. And the problem with that is that that doesn't build trust because when then an actual decision maker reads your blog post, you know, ahead of something, a C-level person, the person who has control of the budget, who signs up on the deal and they read your blog post and they're like, this is obvious stuff. I have read this a hundred times before. You're not telling me anything new. Matter of fact, when I read this, I can tell that you don't know what you're talking about because I can see that the way that you use the jargon and the words and the, I can see that you don't actually know the, the, the technicalities of this thing. And so no, thank you. But if a founder would have written the same thing, now suddenly it's authoritative and this head of or C level can read it and, and be like, wow, this person clearly knows what they're talking about. They've done that. They've been there. Um, and they've just shared an insight that I wasn't aware of before. So they, they see you as an authority and that's why we leverage founders. And, you know, most founders are not content creators. Uh, they don't have a YouTube channel. They don't want to have a YouTube channel. They don't want to spend five hours a day writing a blog post because they have a business to run. And so our job is to just extract, <clears throat> extract all of the knowledge and insights that they have in them out of them into a cohesive form and create these eight videos a month that we can then use on their website and their LinkedIn and their YouTube and create a text post that can be used as a blog post and create an email newsletter. Like we then distribute it in, in many places, but the insights 
come from from the founder and that's why we always say we don't turn people into thought leaders you hear that a lot especially on linkedin we turn people into thought leaders you can't turn people into thought leaders they have to already be thought leaders they have to already be experts in what they do and then you can help them extract this knowledge and insights out of them in a streamlined way so that their time is spared and they only spend with us for example they only spend one hour every two weeks with us and that's it and then they can keep running their businesses focus on other things and they still get all of that content out of it right incredible so there's a few points in that that i would love to double click on two brief mm -hmm. ones first can you talk a bit about um channels when we talk about b2b are there channels that are much better performing than others would you um, say linkedin and no need for tiktok or you need linkedin youtube instagram tiktok and and whatever yeah. else exists out there and the other is how much of this is presentation and how much is content um is is um, there kind of a divide where you say you know you just need to say whatever and we'll make it look great <laughs> um sure um or the other way around yeah so first question on channels um i think they're better on worse channels i actually posted about this the other day when you have a working product that has product market fit that solves an actual problem and you know what your customers care about you know their desires you know their problems you know what their day-to-day -day looks like and you know how to communicate what you do in a way that resonates with your customers any platform works where there's at least a part of your prospects that spend time on that platform. Obviously, if 0% of your prospects spend time on that platform, then it's not going to work no matter. Um, so then it's not a question anymore, does this channel work or not? It's just which one's more cost effective. And I think the most cost effective one right now is LinkedIn. Just because if you're, if you're B2B, chances are very high that your decision makers are active on LinkedIn professionally, your heads off customer experience, heads off supply chain, whatever people, founders, CEOs, whatever you're selling to, they're on LinkedIn. They're also on other platforms. They're also on Twitter. They're also on Instagram, but they have, especially on Instagram, they have a different mindset. They're a little bit more recreationally on, on Instagram. Maybe they follow like their hobbies, like their hiking um accounts and their food accounts and something like things that they want to see like after work at 6 p.m they don't want to see another like person telling them about content and how to grow their business um but there's a caveat like not all b2b are on linkedin like we actually had this conversation with a person who's in the construction uh, industry and they are selling to uh project managers construction site managers um, and, and these people are not on LinkedIn. Like you can actually search sales navigator and search for their job titles and see how many of these people are active by looking posted on LinkedIn in the last 30 days. And then you get a percentage and these people are not on LinkedIn. They're not active there. They're maybe have an account, but they check it every two years when they need to get a new job. And so in that moment, it just didn't make so much sense to blast LinkedIn. For 95% of B2B companies, their decision makers are on LinkedIn. And then I think, you know, we focus on the channels that we think have the highest impact, which is LinkedIn, both the personal account of the person. So the founder or CEO, you know, head of something, the person who, who we're creating these videos for, 
and the, the company page on LinkedIn. Um, and then we create an email news, uh, we create a YouTube channel for them where we upload all of the videos. Now YouTube has very low organic reach, like a video, the, the same video on LinkedIn might get a thousand views and then we post the same video on, on YouTube and it gets like two views because there's just no organic traffic going there. But I think that is a more long-term strategy because it does a, a couple of things. One, you have a YouTube channel with, you know, we now have a YouTube channel with like 150 videos that all talk about content and content marketing, personal branding and LinkedIn and how to write better copy and how to record better videos. Like that's credibility right there. Someone just goes to that YouTube channel and sees, damn, they have, they have 150 videos just talking about this thing. It makes it very easy to share these videos because now for each video that you created, you have a link that you can easily send out to a prospect, to a customer, to someone who asked a question on LinkedIn, which I do all the time. You know, when, when I send an email and someone comes back and, and, and asks me a question, hey, but how do you guys come up with topics for me even though you're not in the construction industry? I have a video for that. That's on our YouTube channel. And instead of trying to answer that question, which is a complex, nuanced question in a long as email, I just say, actually, here's a three minute video where I explain exactly that. So that makes it very easy to use these videos in all kinds of different ways. Um, and then an email newsletter. We create an email newsletter for our customers because most B2B companies, when, when they have been in business for a bunch of years, they have a long list of contacts customers, previous customers, prospects, leads, all kinds of people that they interacted with over the years. And a lot of B2B companies don't do anything with this list of contact. It's just sitting there either in their CRM and HubSpot or just literally in their, in their email inbox. Um, maybe they have an SDR follow up with, with these leads every six months you know, checking back in, following up, just to see whether they can now afford their solution. And so one very easy thing is you can just ask these people, say, hey, by the way, we started a newsletter where we teach people X. So for us, we have a newsletter where we teach people video marketing and how to shorten their sales cycles through video. Would you be interested in that? 50% of the people will say, yeah, actually I am because that's why they're interacted with you over the years, because at some point they were interested in this thing that you do and you add them to it. And then once a month or once every uh, twice a month, you send them an, an email with, for us, it's a video, a piece of content that has shown to resonate with customers. And that way you're staying top of mind with people. You're building goodwill because you're actually teaching them relevant insights to what they're trying to get better at. And so one, you can, you don't have to have your SDR do this annoying follow up every six months. And two, it actually increases the chance that once someone can afford you, they now have the budget, they now hired the right person who can execute on the project. They now are in a position to do this. They will think of you because you've been adding value to them over the last three months by sending them useful stuff. Um, so I think an email newsletter is a very easy thing to do and very powerful. And then all the other platforms, I think it just really depends on the company. For some comp B2B companies, TikTok makes sense. Maybe more so for a recurring channel, you know, because you need to do two things. You need to attract customers and you need to attract 
employees, right? And so maybe your customers are on LinkedIn, but maybe the people that you're trying to attract as your, you know, HR manager, they're on TikTok. And so that's something to think about. But I think most important one is LinkedIn for B2B companies, and then you can think downstream. Great. And you have obviously settled on video. Um, so video versus text versus image versus carousels versus all sorts of things that you could be yeah. creating on these platforms. Why yeah. video? Good question. I feel like there was a, you had the second question that I didn't answer. Um, I'm sorry, you, I'm very bad at rambling. No, you, you did. You did answer. Um, I was going to go into get into um, content and where does content come from? And you actually even and, and presentation. Yes. So maybe we can combine the two video and presentation. Sure. Yeah. Um, OK, presentation versus content. I think content is 80 to 90 percent of what makes the difference. I think mm -hmm. in terms of presentation, when you think about a video, you need to have decent audio quality, you need to have decent video quality, you need to have decent lighting so that someone can see you, understand you, and that's it. Like, that's important. If, if you have it worse than that, that the audio is so bad that someone can't proper, properly hear you or the video quality is so bad that you're all blurred and it's just a pain to watch, then that's going to hurt you. But other than that, once you have that, and we set that up with customers, we tell them to get a Logitech Brio webcam, which is a great webcam. We tell them to get a uh, Blue Yeti mic, which is a great solid microphone. You spend like $300 on that equipment. And then you have really good video up to 4K, and you have really good audio, and that's it. And then we focus on the content. What do you actually say? And we always notice the people who over-focus on like the presentation because they feel like they need to have some kind of crazy background or like a th green screen or need to have they need to rent some kind of studio with studio lighting because there's a little bit of a shadow here in their face it might look better but now you're suddenly spending three times as much because you're also spending money on a studio you're spending way more time because you need to get there and set it all up um which often results in not actually doing it anymore because suddenly it's not this super streamlined thing anymore where you just hop on a call, answer some questions. It's this chore and you drop doing it, which is the worst thing you can do. And sometimes it might even perform less because when people see these corporate types of videos with like a plant here and like some elevator music in the background, they actually turn off because they feel like they're watching an ad. They don't want to watch an ad. They want to hear you, the founder CEO, what, you, what you're thinking about. They want to hear your insights. They want to learn from you. And they want to feel like they're getting that right from you, not like from a there's like a marketing team in between that's watching every word that you're saying. Um, so that's some presentation. And then video versus all the other ones. Um, I think they're all great. I don't think there's a better or worse. Um, you know, I think everyone needs to find out what works for them in terms of carousels, text. We decided on video because um, I think there is a thing about video that is pure psychology. You know, the LinkedIn algorithm, for example, changes all the time. At one point, like LinkedIn videos were like the best thing you could do and they've outperformed everything else. And right now it's text and, and especially image posts that do really well. So people attach like a picture to every post that they do because 
for some reason the algorithm seems to 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 prefer that and so people just kind of switch one thing about video is that nothing builds trust more with a person than a video for psychological reasons because like not only do they get to learn whatever ever they get to learn that you might write in a text but they get to see your face they get to look into your eyes they get to see your body language they get to see your facial expression they get to hear your tonality and those are literally how we validate when we meet a person whether they're trustworthy or not what's their body language like do they look straight into my eyes like do they you know all these things and so that's why i like videos videos are, are very repurposable because once you have a video of something talking you have the video then you can transcribe the video and you got basically a text post which we do for for all of our videos for every video that we record they basically get a text version of that video very easy to create and then you can just rip the audio now you have a mini podcast right so you just do just one medium and within like 10 minutes you have the two other mediums um the other way it's not so easy right um and then for us it's a little bit of a usp because um video is much harder than text um and we hear that all the time you know people who come to us they've often tried doing video before and it was just so high touch so high maintenance so complex studio and this lighting and green screen and three people managing like the microphone and the video and like then it didn't turn out good and they need to redo the whole thing and background noise and they're not good on camera how do i look what do i say you know how do i present this with text you just sit down and you write a text you might be good you might be not good but it's much more straightforward and easy to get it out um and so for us our whole value prop is that we make this like super easy and streamlined and low touch for the founders to do because we've we figured out a process to do it um so that's why we stick with videos even when you know linkedin is like no we prefer image posts right now and then the last thing i would say to that because this is a little bit of a debate on linkedin um i think it also comes down to a little bit of a misconception because you know, people post like a little picture of themselves and write up a little text where they're like, oh, we just hired this new person, you know, and that post gets 100 likes. And then they record a five minute video of themselves where they talk about the state of the art of the industry. And that video gets like 20 likes or 10 likes. And they're like, oh, image posts do better. Clearly, I should only do image posts when you're comparing apples to oranges because the first one is just much more shallow and easier to consume with much less depth than the five minute video where you talk for five minutes about a technical complex topic and so it's just an, an audience type of thing the first one just a lot of people can consume and click a quick like because it's quick to consume and it applies to many people the other thing requires much more commitment to sit down for five minutes and watch your video so you will get fewer likes, but the five minute video will build more trust with the 20 or 10 people who actually stuck through and watched that five minute video. So I think it's, it's also just a misunderstanding and comparing two different things. Great insights. Thank you. 
Finn, I feel like we could be talking all day, but it's time to wrap it yeah. up because you do have other things to do. So I have the perfect question to ask somebody who works in marketing and with the experience that you have. Um, if you had a giant billboard or a giant screen um, on mm-hmm. which you could put one sentence or roll a 10 second clip, um, what would you put on it? Oh, that's the hard one. The first one that popped into my mind, I don't know if that's my favorite, but it's definitely a, a big one is do what you say we you will do. I think that's a pretty good rule in life. Um, I'm not always doing it. You know, it's a reminder to myself too. I think it's very hard to always do what you said you will do. Because sometimes we commit to things we don't want to do and all of those. But I think if we really have to stick to it, not only, you know, will people be able to trust and rely on you, but two, you will actually commit to fewer things because you know that if I tell this person, hey, I'm going to meet you, do this, do that, help you with this, I actually have to do it. I can't cop out. I can't come up with an excuse of, oh, I'm not feeling so well that day. So you're actually really considering do I really want to do this? Because when I tell this person I'm going to do it, I actually have to do it. And so I think it also is good for people themselves because like you say no to more things and you have more free time and more peace and you commit yourself to fewer things and especially things that don't really matter that you don't really want to do. And now my alarm is going off telling me to stop rambling. Um, so yeah, do what you say you would do. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, Finn. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to having many more conversations like this with you. Thank you for having me. Ciao, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Make It Work podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to like, comment and share. If you also want to make it work, stay tuned for more episodes.